Hello, and welcome to the Dr. Nurse Mama Show, prescribing hope for healthy families here on American Family Radio. Here's your host, professor, pediatric nurse practitioner, and mom of four, Dr. Jessica Peck. Well, hey, friends, and welcome, welcome, welcome. We're so glad to have you here for this hour with us. I hope that you have joined us on our journey to cultivate 52 Habits for Healthy Parenting. Yesterday, we introduced this week's new healthy habit, and it may be new to you, or it may be something that you're already doing. And if you're already doing it, then great kudos, high five, so excited for you. If it's something new, then hey hey, have you thought about what you're going to do? You're thinking, what is it, Jessica, you haven't said? Well, we're talking about having a daily devotional, having a daily time. If you don't do that right now, I'm encouraging just anywhere about five minutes. Do you have five minutes a day to read a devotional, to read your Bible, to do something to direct your heart, your mind, and attention toward God? Now, that could be in the morning. It could be in the evening. There are so many resources. And in fact, even at the American Family Association Resource Center. You can find a devotional book that's a collection from AFA staff. It's called Faithful Reflections. There are a lot of other devotional guides on there and just plenty to choose from, but I encourage you to start a daily devotional. It is amazing how consistency over time can really guard, guide and guard your heart for sure. Those other two habits that we're doing and we're stacking those together are praying, So praying can be a part of your devotional time, memorizing scripture, that can be a part of it, going to church, listening to music, that can be part of your devotional time, practicing gratitude. Again, do you see how we're stacking these habits together? And I'm telling you, friends, this is the key to happy parenting is adjusting our hearts, our posture, our minds, our attitudes, our feelings, our emotions, all of those things. If we get those right. I'm telling you, the rest falls into place so much easier and you will find your parenting transformed. We also have listening with your face. And the last two weeks, we've been talking a lot about bedtime routines and sleep hygiene. So if you've missed out on those, you can go back and listen to catch up on all the past episodes, or you can check those out on my social media. You can find me on Facebook or Instagram at Dr. Nurse Mama or the coaching minutes right here on AFA. I'm going through through those uh, habits as the coaching minutes. So today is a daily devotional, and we're going to have some more resources from you for you from today's guest. Now, today's guest is Kara Blondo. She has a community online called The One Thing Desired. She is a prolific version author, which is an online uh, app from the Bible app that does a daily devotional. And she is going to talk with us about a lot of different things today. Kara, I'm so glad that you're joining us today on the show. Welcome, welcome, and welcome. Oh, thank you, Jessica, for having me. It's such a joy to be here. Well, you are also a fellow mom of four. I'm a mom of four. You're a mom of four. Tell us a little bit about you and your family and your husband, like where you live, what you like to do together as a family. (laughs) What's life like for you these days? Oh, I love that. Well, yes, my husband and I have been married for 22 years. We have four children, as you mentioned, ages 19, 17, 14, and 12. 
That means we are in our first year of our first child being away at college. And we also have two in high school and one in middle school. I'm originally from Ohio, but we've lived in New Jersey for the entirety of our married life. And we don't live too far from the beach. So going to the shore is definitely one of our favorite things to do together as a family. And it's something we do as often as we can. And we love being at church and serving. And that, that's kind of what sums up our family. So to my listeners, you can see how Kara and I get along so well. We're in the same <laughs> life stage. Our kids are almost the same age. I think I'm just about two years ahead of you on the curve there and having yes. kids away at college, Kara. Oh, it doesn't get any yeah. easier for sure. But we oh. like to go to the beach too. We have a beach here in Texas. It is not um, It is. It is not maybe the bluest water that you've ever seen, but it is fun to splash around <laughs> in. But anyway, I digress. Well, well, we actually, Kara, you and I have a very serious and important topic to talk about today. Some of you may or may not be aware that this week is actually National Eating Disorder Awareness Week, and that is the topic that we're going to tackle on today's show. Now, you know, when I talk about things that are impacting kids and teenagers and families today, there are a lot of topics, Kara, that just strike fear in the hearts of parents. You know, we all are scared to death of social media and mental health crises and suicide and things like that. But a lot of times I don't have parents who often bring up an eating disorder as something that they're thinking about a lot, something that they're worried mm -hmm. that their kid might experience. And it may surprise our listeners to know, but eating disorders are actually the deadliest mental health disorder. One in five teens with anorexia die from electrolyte imbalance, heart failure, malnutrition, or suicide. So this is something that, in fact, is very, very serious, and we need to talk about. And you are going to share your story of experiencing this and recovery. And Kara, we'll just start. I know you had a childhood dream of being a ballet dancer, which was a beautiful dream, but it was the beginning of the of a road to a dark place that you really never saw coming. And I would love for mm -hmm. you to share that with us. I would be honored. Thank you, Jessica. As you said, yes, growing up, I loved ballet. My dream was to become a professional ballet dancer. My parents did whatever they could to help me achieve my dream, whether it was driving me to the academy for daily classes or planning family trips to New York City centered around all things ballet. Their love and support was unwavering. Since the academy I attended was the official school of our city's professional ballet company, I relished watching and learning from those professional dancers. But Jessica, despite coming from such a loving home, I never felt like I measured up, whether it was in ballet, school, my weight, yes, even as an elementary school student, or just life in general. It was never verbalized to me. It was just an inner constant nagging of not being good enough. I felt that I never measured up to the standard, even though I didn't know what exactly that standard was or whose standard it was that I was trying to satisfy. Being an only child did cause me to feel a lot of pressure because all eyes and attention were on me. But we would often discuss this pressure, and my parents would ask if they'd ever said anything or done anything to make me feel that way. And I would say, no, it was just me. I did desperately want to please them, though. And because of that, I think I felt as though I couldn't express my opinions or desires. 
I internalized a lot of my thoughts and emotions, well, this proved to be too much for my young sixth grade self. Eventually, I began to feel like I had no control over anything in my life. I turned to food and exercise and began to restrict my calories, eventually eating a very regimented diet and increasing exercise at home on top of my dance classes. And around this time, the ballet academy, which I attended, began to weigh and record our weight and already not feeling good about myself. And like I didn't measure up or being happy with my weight and like I had no control over my life. I realized the one thing I could control was my weight and what I ate. And the turmoil within me, Jessica, and the perceived pressures around me just created what I call a perfect storm for an eating disorder. Mm -hmm. And by the eighth grade, I was in the depths of anorexia nervosa. And while my parents knew I had lost weight and they were beginning to worry, I was able to hide the severity of it really well until the summer before eighth grade. And it was while we were on vacation uh, at a beach and they saw me in a bathing suit, they gasped. They were stunned. And I'll never forget my dad saying, just eat a piece of toast. And I couldn't. He said, just eat a banana. It's healthy. And I still couldn't. And I didn't understand why. I knew that the banana was healthy. And I actually was scared because it didn't make any sense. All I knew was that I could not eat it. When we returned home from the beach, my mom tried to find a psychologist. This was, you know, at the time there was no internet. Uh, So she finally made a connection with someone. And again, at the time, eating disorders were not commonly spoken of like they are today. We didn't know what that meant to be diagnosed as having anorexia, nor did we know anyone who had experienced it. I began to see the psychologist, which I would continue to do for a number of years, as well as a physician who watched my weight and my health and a nutritionist to help me gain weight in ways that I could tolerate because it physically hurt my stomach to eat even the small amount of food that I needed to. And throughout this time, I was told that if I lost a half pound more, I would have to be hospitalized. And again, in those days, that would have been a very, very big deal. I couldn't fathom that, Jessica. But thankfully, I was allowed to stay home, but just had to be very closely monitored. My ballet instructors stopped weighing me, and they partnered with my parents. One instructor came to our home and spent time with me, and I was also told if I did not gain weight, I would not be permitted to audition for any of the professional company's performances. And this is what finally motivated me. Because, you see, Jessica, I had no internal desire or motive to change. But I wanted nothing more than to dance. So that partnership between the ballet academy and my parents was definitely a turning point. Well, over the course of a few difficult years, I finally gained weight and became what was considered healthy. Those years were filled with isolation because I didn't want to be places where food would be a focus or around people who would force me to eat. I stopped doing all the normal activities that a young teenager would do. And those years were also filled with tension in my home. I wanted my mom to get rid of all the food that I called bad. And I would just end up in a rage if she didn't, you know, forget about holidays or any kind of gatherings. Those were filled with stress. I would take my own self-approved food. But even apart from holidays, every day my parents felt as though they were walking on eggshells. And yet, despite all this, I eventually met the minimum weight the doctors had agreed upon. And I'm very grateful for how the Lord used the team of professionals that he brought into my life. 
in time, I looked healthy on the outside, but I had not changed on the inside. No one had a remedy, Jessica, for the thoughts mm. and beliefs that still plagued me of not being good enough. During the time of seeing the psychologist, I had been given a list of statements that I was supposed to read out loud to myself, like, I'm a good person. And after reading this list a few times, I thought, who wrote this? They don't know me. They don't know if I'm a good person, and I don't believe this. And I just stopped. I was convinced that I would continue living in the prison of my mind for the rest of my life. I saw prison bars in my mind's eyes. I was trapped. I couldn't get out. I I can't even describe or emphasize how real that was. I had no answer. Here I had gained the required weight, and everyone was happy, but I was miserable. As bad as it was being anorexic and feeling completely trapped, being the same inside, and yet now with the added weight on the outside, that just felt even worse. Well, for various reasons, towards the end of high school, I made the shocking decision to quit ballet, and soon thereafter, someone in my French class began to ask me to go to the Bible club that was held after school, and I finally said yes, really, just to get her to stop asking (laughs) me to go. But the first thing the students asked was, are you a Christian? And I said, yes. I said, I go to church. I'm a good person. And they said, that doesn't make you a Christian. And they went on to share the gospel with me that all have sinned and all have fallen short of the glory of God. But God loves us so much that he sent Jesus to die on the cross for our sins, that he died, was buried, and rose again, and is alive. And if you place your faith in Christ, knowing that you're a sinner and need a Savior, that He can alone forgive you of your sins and you can be saved. And they said, do you want to ask Jesus to be your savior? And I said, yes, right away. And that day I became a child of God Then in the mid-1990s. Now, I didn't grow that much during the last year and a half of high school, but there were seeds of truth planted in my heart. And in the fall of 1995, I attended the University of Delaware, and I knew I wanted to grow in my relationship with God. The Lord led me to a campus ministry uh, that was based out of a local church near the university, and this church had the greatest love for college students I've ever seen, and my hunger for God exploded. One Sunday, I asked for prayer, and the pastor said, you need to know your identity in Christ. And he called his wife over and said, tell her what you told me. I told her, she said, you need to know your identity in Christ. I did not know what that meant. It was the first time I had heard those words, but that moment was life-changing. People from the church, older students from the campus ministry, they all began to share the truth of God's Word with me and what the Bible said about not only who I was, but whose I was. And slowly but surely, the strength of the prison bars began to diminish. Kara, that is, well, that is beautiful. I'm going to hold you right there. And we're going to hear the rest of Kara's story and talk about what you need to know, how you can help kids who are struggling in your life. So don't go away. We'll be right back. Why is our society so ravenous to abort babies? According to a former Satanist, the demonic forces have a bloodlust for the innocents and sickly believe their blood sacrifice empowers evil. Make no mistake, we are fighting a spiritual battle as we protect the most innocent among us, babies in their mother's womb. Preborn stands on the front lines of this battle, and their network of clinics are positioned in the highest abortion areas, often next to abortion mills where unspeakable evil takes place every day. Preborn offers God's love and life to protect hurting women and precious preborn babies. 
And every time a baby is saved, which happens 200 times a day, good conquers evil. Please make your most generous gift to empower good and rescue precious souls. For just $28, you can sponsor an ultrasound that doubles a baby's chance at life. To donate securely, dial pound 250 and say the keyword baby. That's pound 250 baby or go to preborn.com. That's preborn.com. You're listening to the Dr. Nurse Mama Show with Dr. Jessica Peck on American Family Radio. Well, hey, friends, and welcome back. If you were tuning in, you were so blessed to hear the incredible testimony of Cara Blondo, who was sharing her struggle with an eating disorder. Now, as you may or may not know, this is National Eating Disorder Awareness Week. And as I shared at the top of the program, eating disorders are actually the deadliest mental health disorder. One in five teens with anorexia will die from electrolyte imbalance, heart failure, malnutrition, or suicide. So I do want to give a disclaimer right away and say, if you have any concern for your child or yourself or a child you know and love and care about, you are concerned that they may have an eating disorder, I cannot advise you strongly enough to not stop, don't pause, don't, you know, don't pass go, go straight to a healthcare provider because this is something that is potentially life-threatening. And much as Kara shared in her story, sometimes it can be hard for parents to see every day and then all of a sudden you see it and it can be very, very dangerous. Those health threats can be imminent because if you have electrolyte imbalances, those can affect the way that your heart conducts electricity. And we're talking about potential for serious illness and death and organ damage that can impact especially young girls for a long time to come, impact their ability to have babies. These are very serious things. And so if you are experiencing this, I cannot, again, encourage you strongly enough to go quickly to a healthcare provider you know and you trust, establish that relationship and get that care. Now with that, we're going to go back to Kara's story and she was just sharing how she found hope through someone inviting her to church and binding uh, Jesus. And so Kara, tell us the end of your story. Yes, that's right. Well, Jessica, do you remember that list I mentioned earlier, the one that the psychologist wanted me to read with statements such as, I'm a good person? And do you recall that I had concluded it wasn't even worth reading because it was written by an author who didn't know me? Well, now I was given a list similar in nature, statements about me, but this time in the context of who I was as a child of God, truths taken, Jessica, from verses in the Bible. I read this list daily sometimes multiple times a day, and I realized something profound. This is what God says about me, and He knows me. If He knows me and still says this of me, it must be true. I could believe this list because of who the author is. And there were days I read the list and I didn't feel any different, and there were other days that I read and something would just resonate deep within, causing me to be overwhelmed by the magnitude of His grace, and the Word of God began having an effect on my life and began setting me free as my mind was being renewed according to His truth. I think that is so incredibly beautiful, Kara. And the thing that we can learn from your testimony is that 
we're not alone. Parents and families who are going through this, they are not alone. And a lot of times I've encountered so many families through my clinical practice who have been struggling with this and they feel so much shame. Like, what did I do wrong as a parent? What could I have done differently? And, you know, why is this happening to us? And knowing that we live in a broken world and these kinds of things do happen, but you are not alone and there is hope. And I can't, I can't echo enough the list that you said you talked about, because I talked about this even in my book behind closed doors where kids are looking for identity. We can say I'm a good person, but the truth is we really, a lot of times are not. And the list that I have is scripture saying, God telling us, you are called, you are chosen, you're a new creation, you are forgiven, you are blessed, you are set free, you are redeemed, you are beloved, you're being transformed, you are the apple of my eye, you are pursued, you are a child of God, and you are a masterpiece. Those are all words straight from scripture. And like you said, we know the author, so we can trust that. Well, Kara, I would love to know, what do you think are some common misconceptions that you think people have about eating disorders that contribute to some of this shame and stigma that goes along with them? Mm, yeah, I think, at least from my experience, some of the most common misconceptions that I've heard are, are things like it's all about losing weight. Well, it may start that way, but really there is so much more going on beneath the surface kind of like I brought out in my testimony, than just the desire to lose weight. Another is that you're never thinking about food. I was always thinking about food. I was looking at the clock, seeing how much longer it was until I could eat the next thing that I gave myself permission to eat. Another is that, you know, you think everyone else must look fat. I don't ever remember thinking that my criticism and my dissatisfaction were reserved solely for myself. Another is that this struggle will remain with you for the rest of your life. Now, I certainly know many people who say years later they still struggle with it, but I also know people who don't. And I fall in that latter category. It is not a part of my life anymore. In fact, sometimes I feel like I may be freer than those who probably didn't have an eating disorder because of the depth of the work the Lord did in me. So freedom truly is possible. It will likely not be overnight, but it's possible. And like you said, we always have reason to be hopeful in the Lord. You know, when I talk to parents whose children are struggling with an eating disorder, they can be really frustrated because it is very hard to understand. I mean, you can look at something as simple as an apple and think, why can't you eat the apple? Like, I just don't understand that. But one of my colleagues explained it to, that a patient had explained it to her this way and said, you see an apple, I see a tiger. I see something very dangerous. And you're telling me that I need to be close to and, you know, stay and pet this tiger basically is what it feels like when you're telling me to have food because there's so much anxiety around it. And so it's helpful mm -hmm. to frust to channel your frustration to the disorder and not to the child mm -hmm. and recognize that it's almost something distinct that's happening that they really do have control they have difficulty controlling because we know that you know eating disorders cause severe and persistent and harmful distorted body image so that you know really every exaggerated flaw is is really exaggerated and that's where we come up with body dysmorphia like looking in the mirror and you don't see 
what other people see. It's like your reality has been distorted by this. And I want to stop here, Kara, and, mm-hmm. and explain to parents, too, that it's important to recognize the difference between an eating disorder and disordered eating. So disordered eating is eating behaviors that are not necessarily healthy. You know, maybe you're obsessively counting calories, or maybe you don't like to eat after a certain time and you just absolutely cannot eat after that time. Or maybe you have a habit of binge eating after an emotional episode. Maybe you have those behaviors, but it doesn't yet rise to the level that meets diagnostic criteria that says you have a disorder. But Kara, this is what I want parents to know. Intervening early is much better than waiting because if you intervene early, you don't have those harmful patterns of thinking so ingrained in your brain. You don't have the risk of long-term organ damage like you do for for you know things that go on for a long time and that that's important for parents to know because they can think oh well this seems you know a little bit I'm a little concerned about this but should I say something so how has yeah. this now you have teenagers Kara how has this impacted your view as a mom how have you uh, you know found yourself mothering differently or using what you have learned to or has it impacted your kids at all that's a great question. Um, I think it, it, it definitely has impacted my, my parenting. I mean, I think when we go through something and we have a testimony in something uh, as deeply as I do in this, it's, it's not going to not affect my parenting, right? So it, I did hold back on sharing with them until they were much older. But the ways it played out when they were young was not emphasizing appearance. I, I never emphasized their appearance or put too much praise in their appearance. I also never allowed myself to speak any negative word about myself or my appearance or any dissatisfaction. And I've had four kids, so especially the older ones. I mean, they, they've seen my body change a lot over the course of all those pregnancies and so forth. But I, I just knew that I... I had to just be so honoring of the body that God gave me in hopes that they too would be able to honor their body, you know? And so I, I, we never had a a culture of diet or anything like that. It was um, more so, well, we just want to eat healthy or exercise is good to, to be healthy, but even that, not to the extreme. You know, and we're not ill-intentioned as parents when we do this. A lot of times, I, I, I recognize it in myself as a mom, Kara, you know, where my kids will take a picture of me. And I actually shared in my book, Behind Closed Doors, where my daughter took a picture of me. She turned the camera around. And she said, oh, you're not going to like that picture. And it kind of took me mm-hmm. aback because I said, how do you know I'm not going to like this picture? And she goes, oh, I know you don't like that angle. You just won't like that angle. You won't think it's flattering. And it was so convicting for me because I thought, yes, these are the subliminal messages that I am communicating. And, you know, we can't beat ourselves up for that and feel like, oh, my goodness, I'm, you know, the worst mom in the world. But we have to think about those ways. I mean, I think about like if I'll make a comment about, oh, I've gained weight or I feel fluffy or, you know, whatever that may be. Mm -hmm. And guys are not immune to this either. You know, dads can do this, too. And we have to remember 
that it's not just girls who are impacted by eating disorders. And we're seeing in the healthcare community, this is soaring after COVID because when your life feels like it's out of control, one of the first Mm -hmm. things that you can do to control is control your eating. And I've been talking on the program a lot, Kara, about how all of these, you know, looks, trends and everything, all of them are now being targeted on social media to boys specifically Mm -hmm. because boys can be marketed to. They can buy, I mean, look at all of the, the nutrition supplements that are becoming more popular in boys. They want to, you know, get cuts and get their gains and, you know, those kinds of things. And so then we see, you know, dads who, uh, you know, like think they're walking around the baseball field and like looking like, oh, do I suck in my gut? I mean, these are all like horrible, cringy things to say, but it is really the way that we think. And I think that is something Mm -hmm. that we have to be cognizant of. So where have you found faith Mm -hmm. in sending positive messages, Kara? What does that look like for you? Uh, well, I love what you said about not beating ourselves up, right? And and I think that's so key that they, our children know us really well. And so we can't really hide things from them, but we can be very mindful and purposeful uh, in, in the words that we speak and yet still let them kind of, you know, they may still recognize, you know, mom says this, but... But we know, you know, that angle she's not going to love, like you said. And I think one of the best things that we can do is to remember uh, the words Paul spoke about, follow me as I follow Christ. You know, it was really freeing to me when I became a mom and I realized that that doesn't mean follow me because I have it 100% together and because I'm doing this thing perfectly. It can also be follow me as I go to the foot of the cross and I ask for forgiveness or follow me as I ask the Lord to help me get through this or to change my thinking in this. And in all of these ways that my faith is being worked out in my life, I can set that example and say, follow me. And so I think, you know, when we talk about bringing bringing faith into this and, and those uh, faith-filled messages, a lot of it is pointing to the cross and the Word of God Mm. and follow me to Jesus because that's where we find our hope. Oh, amen. I could not agree more. And I think that, you know, really our kids are so much better at seeing who we are than we are as parents. Mm-hmm. And, you know, a lot of times when we say, you know, going back to the, I don't like the way I look in pictures, parents, our kids are thinking, well, great, because I look just like you. So you don't like the way that I look, but I think when they look at us, they don't see flabby arms or crow's feet or round bellies or anything like that. They see us in their life. They see our arms that are wrapped around them, hugging them. They see us looking at them with love in our eyes. They see us holding hands with our spouse. They see us using our hands and our bodies to play with them. And they see the dimensions of our personality. They see us present in their moment. And when we take those photos, when we have the courage to take those photos, which is something I talk about and I'm trying to be really good about is being in Mm -hmm. the photo so that when they look back, they see a record of us woven into the tapestry of their life story. And that record of that love that we have for them is such a powerful display of the love that God has for them. And the way that they see us loving them is a direct reflection and is our stewardship 
of showing the way that God loves them. And so seeing, you know, coming to our faith and, and really concentrating on some of those things that are so important that are our character qualities and our character attributes. Those are the most important. Well, as we're going to go to break, I'm going to ask some hard questions. I've asked those before, Kara, but I'm going to offer some open-ended questions for parents to think about and thinking, is this something that we need to address in our home? So here are some questions, and let me tell you, they are hard for me too. How do you, does your family, how do you feel about your family's eating behaviors? What have you been wondering out loud, but you're afraid to ask? When have you experienced feeling worried about a friend or a peer or your child with concerning eating behaviors? Those are questions that you can ask, but looking at the things that, uh, you know, that we are looking at in our homes, you have to think about the things that you are, um, that you're thinking, like, what do you do? when you are uh, following the myth that you'd be happier if you were thinner or more fit? How does your family use food to cope with stress? Do you listen to your body and eat only when you're hungry? Or do you judge other people's bodies and compare them to your own? Do you follow social media accounts that make you feel bad about yourself? Do you embrace balance and celebrate foods in moderation? Or do you label foods as good or bad? Do you earn foods by exercising and eating healthy? Or do your family celebrations revolve around food? Those are tough, tough questions. But listen, you can find more answers in my book, Behind Closed Doors, a guide to help parents and teens navigate through life's toughest issues. And we'll have more when we come back. Podcast of the Dr. Nurse Mama Show are available on the podcast page at AFR.net. Now, back to Dr. Jessica Peck on American Family Radio. Hey, friends, and welcome back to this really important conversation that I'm having with Cara Blondo. This is National Eating Disorder Awareness Week, and it is really important that parents recognize symptoms in their children and intervene early because, as I've been sharing throughout the program, eating disorders are actually the most deadly mental health disorders. And when your kids are not getting enough calories, it causes their body to literally eat its own muscle tissue. And the largest muscle is your heart, and that can be weakened. And your brain, even though it only weighs about three pounds, it uses one-fifth of the calories that you eat. So there are so many ways that calorie deficits can harm your kids' social st- their social status, not status as in being popular, but just their ability to socially interact, their ability to academically perform, their emotional, mental, and physical health. It is really important to act early. And so if you are concerned about that, again, I would highly encourage you to call a healthcare provider and to seek evaluation and consultation there to make sure that everything is okay. Kara, you have been sharing your story and your about your recovery from an eating disorder. And I want to know what do you want other parents to learn from this? What do you want them to know? Yes, you know, for so long, Jessica, I struggled with what to say to parents because of my point of view being the one who's going through it. But I have spoken to so many parents over the years, and of course, my own mom, 
But there are just a few things I would love to encourage any parents who are walking through this with their child and who are listening today. And the first is to recognize that this is part of your story and your testimony, too. I think this is important because it acknowledges the impact that this season is most likely having on you and, in reality, your entire household. You know, as a young person going through an eating disorder, I did not see it this way because I could not see beyond myself. I did not want my mom to talk to anyone about it. She would say, can I just share with my sisters and I, you know, her sisters, my aunts. And I'd say, no, it's my life. It's not yours. Well, I have since apologized because I would, we need support. And now I understand how much she needed the support. But of course, once I became a parent, I learned that whatever my children are going through, I am going through to a a lesser extent. What they're dealing with, I am dealing with in the sense of the space that it takes in my heart and my mind and maybe even my time and my energy as I need to deal with some things. So I think by acknowledging this and accepting it, what it does is encourages you as a parent to invite the Lord into it with you not just into it with your child, but into it with you. You will need his strength, his grace, his guidance, and so on. And he wants to give it. So recognize this is part of your story for this season. And I also think that's important because something like this can be so consuming. It won't be uncommon to have to adjust your schedule or cut back on other things. So give yourself grace to do that. But if you don't realize it's part of your story for a season, you're more likely to just try to plow straight ahead and approach life as it was before. And that just probably won't be sustainable in the long run. And another thing I'd love to encourage parents with is their role. Now, of course, each family and situation will be different, but many moms struggle with feeling like they failed or they're just plagued by guilt because they aren't the ones perhaps who are directly helping their child. This is a hard shift. Because for most of a child's young life, the mom is the caregiver and the mom and dad are the problem solvers, generally speaking. And now suddenly, when you feel your child needs you the most, you may feel ill-equipped to help or even you may feel like your child doesn't want your help. And from what I can tell, this is all normal. And actually, it can even be helpful because your child needs outside support. And in the long run, you're going to be grateful because the burden really is too great for you to carry on your own. You make a really important point, Kara, because as I said before, an eating disorder diagnosis is can be one of the hardest struggles for parents, a hard thing to accept. And the thing that makes that harder is a lot of times teens who are prone to disordered eating behaviors are high achievers. So they're doing really well in other areas of their life, much like you were excelling at dance or excelling in academics. They excel in a lot of areas. They're very smart. They're very well-spoken and they will deny, deny, deny. They will gaslight you. They, and then parents Uh start to question themselves and they think, Oh, I feel guilty. I, should I be saying this? Like, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe this is okay. And teens will manipulate them into thinking that concern is actually hurting me. You know, you are hurting me by believing this. But it's so important, Kara, for those parents to see that secrets and deception aren't a deliberate choice in that moment as much it is Mm -hmm. a manifestation of a problem. They are symptoms Mm -hmm. of an illness. And a lot of times I have seen teens be very, very defiant very angry, 
very defensive and in denial. Mm-hmm. I don't have a problem. I don't need you. And this is important because parents yeah. sometimes have to act outside their will. They have to go right. against their teen. And you cannot do that alone. You absolutely yeah. cannot do that alone. And I don't know how people without faith, you know, how that how they're sustained yeah. by that because you really have yeah. to have that uh, faith that, that, that it will be better, but it is important to know that. And if, pa- if parents and families are really brave, Kara, you could have a conversation about this in your family and ask like, what behaviors, mm-hmm. what kinds of speech do we have that contributes to, to stigma and shame around this? What do, what do I say? Mm-hmm. If you have a good relationship with your child, you can even ask them, you know, what do I say or do in this space that hurts you? or makes you feel insecure because there's a lot of times where, you know, we may buy some clothing for our kids or we may ask them about the clothing that they're wearing. And our intention is totally innocent. You know, we're not thinking about their body shape or size or anything like that, but they think that it is. And so opening conversation about that is really, really important. Well, Kara, you have, you have, um, you have, a, you've written a lot of devotionals and I think this is so important for us to go to the Lord every day yeah. with problems like this or other problems that we're facing. And you are gifted at writing devotionals that guard and guide our hearts to the Lord. And you have several resources. Can you share with us the importance of daily devotionals in your own life and what role that played in your recovery? Oh, well, thank you so much for those those kind words. And I just want to say, as you've alluded to it a few times, I just love the healthy habits that we're discussing here on this program, and especially uh, this one on our devotional life. But, you know, the place the Word of God has had in my life and recovery journey, it just cannot be overstated. I say it was the Spirit of God through the Word of God, as shared by the people of God, that began the transformation process in my life. And of course, it didn't just stop with, with what the people were saying. It, it just, that just spurred on my hunger for the Word of God. And it was then, and it still is, the time in the Word that allows Romans 12, 2 to become a reality in my life and in all of our lives. And that verse says in part, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. You know, we are constantly bombarded with messages and patterns of that which the world is trying to conform us to. Not only that, we have an enemy of our soul who just constantly whispers, or let's be honest, sometimes just shouts these lies at us, right? And we have our own flesh and our own sinful nature to deal with. And the only way to know God and His truth and His ways is through time spent in His Word. And so... It is just so, so important. And as you mentioned before, um, yes, I have some version devotional and reading plans. You can find those on the Bible app or the version website. You just by searching the one thing desired. And tell us about that, Kara. Tell us about the one thing desired and your platform and your community and what your current ministry is. Oh, sure. Well, The One Thing Desired is the name of my website, blog, social media pages, and it's based on Psalm 27.4, which says, One thing I have desired of the Lord, that will I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in His temple. And my podcast called Perspective Shift, that's all about replacing our thoughts with God's truth 
because as we meditate upon the Word of God, we experience a transformation, a shift in our in our perspective and how we interpret really everything in our lives. And I believe as we behold His beauty and shift our perspective from our thoughts to His truth, we find that He is the one we have been desiring all along and the one who we will continue to desire. Well, and how does that play into your parenting? How does your own personal practice of a daily devotional look like today for yourself or your family? You've got growing teenagers like I do. What does that look like and how does that strengthen and encourage you? Yeah, well, let me just start by saying my devotional life has looked very different over the years, depending on what season of life I have been in. And there's no one size fits all, even when two people are in the same season, let alone when we are talking with people in different seasons. But because my children are getting older, I have more time to have more time with my devotions. You know, I'm not good at reading through Scripture fast. I'm one of those people who I could take a verse or just a passage, and I just need to sit with it and meditate upon it, journal or cross-reference, read more about a theme or an idea. So I take time with it. I go slowly. And, you know, even for my family, that too, our devotional, our family devotionals, what that has looked like has changed a lot as they've gotten older. When the kids were young, we had daily times of reading together. And if you are listening and a mom of a young child, I just want to encourage you in that. I I know because it happened in my home. (laughs) The baby never cried and the toddler (laughs) never had a tantrum as big, right? I can tell it happened in your home too, You you are not (laughs) telling the truth right now, Kara. Well, man, the battle was real. And, you know, I would often wonder, Jessica, is this worth it? Because I knew I was about to go from a peaceful home to just a habit, like just a chaos, <laughs> home, a chaotic home just by grabbing my Bible. So if, that, if you're in that season, I want to say, yes, it is worth it. And I cannot state that enough. The elementary years and younger, they're just prime times to sow the seed of God's Word in those impressionable hearts. And it makes a difference. They are getting something from it. They are learning through the practice. Of, of it to prioritize God's Word, and they are learning to see His Word as the authority, which is what we ultimately want for as they get older. So as my family got older and schedules didn't always align and it just got harder uh, in the practicalities of it all, I would say it became more of a Deuteronomy 6 kind of thing. Uh, that was there, of course, in the younger years, too, but that's the primary way we incorporate Scripture into our home now, and Deuteronomy 6, for those not familiar with it, just talks about the Word of God being spoken about as you walk along the road or when you lie down, when you get up, like just as you go about your daily life. So it's more about highlighting principles from His Word in everyday conversation and just really looking for those opportunities to encourage but not come across as preachy or lecturing. And Jessica, I heard it said one time that when the kids are young, spend more time talking to them about God, and when they're older, spend more time talking to God about them. Now, of course, at all seasons, we have both incorporated, right? But as my role has shifted, as the kids have gotten older, that has been really encouraging because there may be times they don't want to hear from me, but God God always wants to hear from me. And so I can always take them to the throne of grace by praying for them. And of course, like I said, looking for those opportunities to speak truth into their lives. 
I just love that. And I love the message of Deuteronomy 6. And Kara, I mean, I can affirm, yes, exactly those things happened in my house. And let me tell you when it was a real challenge was when COVID shut everything down. You know, we're trying to have church at home in those very early days. And, you know, it was so difficult. I thought, no, you can't show up to the couch in your pajamas. Well, why not, mom? You know, like it was just all of this. How do we do this? And what does this look like? And that's where I realized that consistency was so much more important than quality sometimes. You know, like we think that we have to have this big, perfect devotional experience, but that's just not true. Seeing us just yeah. turn every day to God in whatever way that might be is really important. And as we come up yeah. to Passion Week, as we come up to this Easter season, there's so many ways that you can do that and where you can just incorporate a spiritual discussion into your family life. Uh, Kara, one of my family's favorite traditions is we always watch Ben-Hur, the old Ben-Hur movie and the Ten Commandments. Yeah. We watch those over the Easter weekend. And and it really awesome. is a great, like just a springboard for discussion. So I would encourage you as a mm-hmm. family to adopt something that you're doing for Easter. And Kara, you have a plan, uh, a U version for Passion week and maybe families could do that together so tell people how to find that absolutely you can uh, look that uh, up again on the bible app or new version's website by searching the one thing desired or jessica i have a a page on my website with resources of everything we've talked about here today or themes that we've talked about today from devotional life to the new version plan to the easter resources and that can be found at the one thing desired.com just click on resources and scroll down and you'll see that but that plan is called Glimpses of the Journey, and it's a seven-day plan. Just taken, just select passages taken from the last uh, week of Jesus leading up to the cross. So you heard that there. You can find it at theonethingdesired.com. Kara Blondo, find her devotional resources. And she has on her website a bunch of resources related to the topic that we have discussed today for National Eating Disorder Awareness Week. Well, thank you so much for joining us. May the Lord bless you and keep you and make his face shine upon you wherever you are today. And we will see you right back here tomorrow. The views and opinions expressed in this broadcast may not necessarily reflect those of the American Family Association or American Family Radio.